are some things in life you just need to get right. One of those things is the area of money, and we're talking about that today. If you've got your Bibles, meet me in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in a moment. As always, feel free to grab your sermon notes out. Great way to track with the message today. Our word this year is fearless, and I believe one of the greatest uh, fears that we have in our lives is just trusting God with our money. And really that fear that at the end of the month, will, will there be enough? God, can I really trust you with the totality of my life, my possessions, my money? And there's a, a lot of pastors that, that don't want to talk about money because it's just a difficult topic to talk about. And I, I love talking about money, and here's why I believe if we get this area of our life right, uh, there's a ripple effect. It changes so many different areas of our life. So I really like talking about the difficult things. However, it is a little bit uncomfortable because there's pastors that uh, abuse this topic. There's pastors on television where if you send $100 into them, they'll send you, you know, water from the Jordan River that will take care of every disease, you know? Uh, and they just, they abuse that. They're afraid that first-time visitors are gonna get turned off. I don't talk about money all the time. I talk about it from time to time. They're fearful that people are gonna leave. They're fearful of hate mail. People are gonna get so angry. And by the way, if you have an email, that you wanna send me because I offend you today or I say something that you don't like, please feel free to email me, all right? I, I don't mind that at all. My email address is sgrim at inthecove.com. So feel free <laughs> to send me any email. In fact, send me lots of emails this week uh, at that email address, all right? But, but we're, just, we're just gonna have some fun today. Uh, money is a topic that Jesus talked about all the time. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables were about money and possessions. Uh, there's about 500 verses on faith in the Bible, uh, but there's over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. In fact, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did heaven and hell together. He talked about it more than he talked about love. In fact, if you break it down in the New Testament, almost one out of t every 10 verses in the New Testament is about money and possessions. So I'm excited about this. It's only a two-week series. Today is about God's heart. What's God's heart when we look at the scriptures? Next week is what's the church's heart? When we look at the New Testament church, what is their heart in regards to money and possessions? Let me set the stage of what's going on in Matthew chapter six. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been shared, Jesus. He's talking about money. And bookend in the middle of that is this word called anxious. I, I believe you could substitute the word fearful. Why? Because at the heart of his sermon, right in the middle, not only is he talking about money, one of the greatest struggles we have, but the reason for it is that there's this fear that's demonstrated in so many different areas of our lives. Matthew 6, 19, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. These are the words of Jesus. As today we're focusing on just, just hearing God's heart for us in this area. Jesus says in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Drop down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life 
more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Then verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you can i get an amen heavenly father right now in this moment we open our hearts wide to you to hear to listen to receive and most importantly to live out your purpose and your plans for our lives in the area of money. God, we realize that this would be a real easy message just to want to check out. Put up our walls. And so, God, would you help us to be fully engaged followers right here, right now. God, I pray for your help. I pray that you would take over my mouth, my mind, my heart, that you would declare your message that you have in store for your people today. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so glad that you are uh, here with us um, today. And as we uh, begin to talk about money, again, I, I, I really like talking about this because I believe this is one of the greatest challenges that we have in life. I believe a lot of marriages that struggle, one of the primary issues is money. I believe single people, one of the primary issues and struggles is a lack of priorities in their finances that leads to crazy financial trouble. A lot of the worry, a lot of the pain, a lot of the heartache that we experience as followers of Jesus Christ, and even those of us that are just kind of discovering who Jesus is, it all goes back to money. And if we can get this area of our lives right, uh, boy, there's a ripple effect uh, in so many different areas. So my heart for this series is just the, the next two weeks is that this would be a message series where you're like, you know what, that was the most honest, truthful, biblical, authentic message on giving that we've, we've really ever heard and it's really transformed our lives. And my, my heart today is that as we hear from God and what God wants for us in the area of money, that it would go beyond the mind, that it would go beyond the heart, but we would truly live lives that reflect that God is number one in every area of our life, including finances. So here's the simple question that we wanna ask today is how do we honor or how do we authentically follow Jesus in the area of money? Simple question, how do we authentically follow Jesus in the area of money? And we're asking that question because our mission statement is reaching and raising authentic followers of Jesus. So when it comes to following Jesus in every area of our life, knowing that money is one of the most difficult ones, how are we the real deal? How are we real Christians? How are we salt and light in the area of money? And I believe that there's three simple realities. And the first really starts with the, the head, the mindset. We need to embrace the biblical mindset. 
That's the first thing that we need to do. In other words, our thinking needs to be based upon the truth of the scripture. Our thinking needs to be God's thinking. We, we need to, to let God change the way we see, view, and value money. I was talking to a friend yesterday. He's been a, a follower of Christ for a little over a year now. He uh, got baptized um, over a year ago. He's been just growing in his love relationship with Jesus. And I was like, man, isn't it great to look at your life and see all the changes that God has made in your life? You're not the same person you were a year ago. And he's like, yeah, but you know what's really changed? I, I said, what? He said, my thinking. I'm like, T tell me more. He's like, you know, I have a different way of thinking now. It's not just about me. It's not just about the here and now. It's, it's more about eternity. It's more about God's plan instead of my plan and being okay with the fact that I don't always get what I want, but I'm trusting that God's got a greater plan and purpose for my life. The first thing that happens when we become a Christian is, is our thinking needs to change. And if we're gonna authentically follow Jesus in the area of money, we need to embrace the biblical mindset, and really we see a biblical mindset in three different ways. The first thing that we need to understand is that God provides everything. God provides absolutely everything. I, I just love holding babies that are like a week old, a month old, because they're totally dependent upon the person that's holding them. You think about it, a, a newborn baby can do nothing on their own. They can't eat, they can't change their diaper, they can't dress themselves. Some of you moms are like, but it would be nice if they could, right? But they are completely dependent on the person that's, that's watching them. It's childlike faith, completely dependent on, on, on the father, on, on the mother. And when we understand that God provides everything for us, it realizes that, that we don't earn anything, that we don't deserve anything. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he said, what, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, everything that we have was provided for us by God. Not just our material possessions, not just our house, our car, our apartment, but our ability to do things, our ability to think, our ability to, to work, our ability to provide everything that we have was provided by God. And when we get that and think that way, it, it changes us. In fact, I, I love the way it says it in Deuteronomy 8, 18. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it, is, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So the first thing that we need to understand as we embrace this biblical mindset is that God provides everything. Second of all, is that God owns everything. Second of all, God owns everything. Why? Because he's provided everything. God owns everything. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 puts it this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And Paul in his, in his letter to the church of, of Colossae, uh, 1 Corinthians, or in, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians, well, what he's talking about is, is, guys, you don't understand that when you give your lives to Christ, you don't own your body anymore. You can't make decisions about your life. God makes those. This was a church that was struggling still with sexual immorality. And, and Paul's saying, like, you don't get it. Not only has God provided everything, he owns everything. Not just your possessions, but he also owns you. Which, which if we understand that God owns everything, there's a couple implications for that. Number one in your notes is that we are God's stewards, or we're God's servants. We're God's servants. Thank you, Dave. 
We're God's, we're God's servants. What, what does that mean if we're God's servants? He owns us and our whole life is about living for him. Our whole life is about God, whatever you want, here I am. God, your will be done. It's not about me, it's not about what I want, it's not about what I think. Why, because we are God's servants. Why, because first and foremost, because God owns everything, he first of all owns us. The deed of our life has been signed over to Jesus Christ because we are his servants. Now, honesty time, just for a second. How many of you, like me, at times, don't like being told what to do? Raise your hand. Good, we got some rebels in the house today. How many of you are married to somebody that doesn't like being told what to do? Wow, hands went up a lot quicker that time, folks. Come on. But here's the point. When we realize that God owns everything, he owns us, we are his servants, even though at times we don't like being told what to do. So our prayer to combat that is, God, would you tell me what to do? Because I'm your servant. Not only are we God's servants, we are God's stewards. We're God's stewards. Another word for that is managers. Your house, it's not yours, it's God's. You get to manage it. Your car, hate to break it to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not yours, it's God's. Why? Because he provided it, he owns it, he's entrusting it with you. Everything in our life has been entrusted to us. We are not owners, we're managers, and God has trusted us to steward well all of our life, all of our possessions. Why? Because they ultimately belong to God. It was last summer, uh, we went away on vacation as a family. I had my brother and his family. They came over, spent the night uh, at our house for about a week, uh, watched our dogs, and it was, it was great because the way he managed and stewarded our home was phenomenal. He sprayed for black widows for like eight hours. Why? Because he knew that I would love that. And he took pictures of every single black widow that he found that was dead afterwards. Why did he do that? Because he realized it wasn't his home, it was mine. And he knew in my eyes that would be something that I would really appreciate. We stewarded my home so well that any time he wants to come over and stay, as long as he doesn't move in with us, um, I want to encourage him to do that. Why? Because we are God's stewards because we don't own it, he does. So we have to embrace this biblical mindset. God has provided everything. God owns everything, which means we are servants and stewards. But thirdly, in your notes, we also understand that we can't take anything with us to heaven. We have this biblical mindset. We have to understand that we can't take anything with us to heaven. I love what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, period. <laughs> It's blunt, it's simple, it's clear. That's why Jesus in Matthew 6 says, don't store up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You're never gonna see somebody that's being driven in a hearse with a U-Haul following it. We, we can't take stuff with us to heaven. You know, it's interesting, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has realized that his possessions in this life are temporary. I don't believe he's not a Christian. But recently, he sold a bunch of his uh, memorabilia, four of his NBA Finals rings, so that he could send kids to camp. And this is what he said. He said, when it comes to choosing between storing a championship ring or trophy in a room or providing kids with an opportunity to change their lives, the choice is pretty simple. Sell it all. Why? Because 
We can't take anything with us. But what does it start with? It starts with a biblical mindset. We have to see money the way God does. That God provides everything, that God owns everything, and that we can't take anything with us to heaven. Now, for a lot of people, that's where it stops. A lot of people, we, we understand what the Bible says. It's in our mind. It's in our head. We've got the biblical mindset, the biblical perspective, but it's never dropped down to our hearts. We've, we've never really developed point two in our notes, which is develop a biblical attitude. We're saying, you know, God, I know what your word says. I know you're thinking. I know your mindset when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, when it comes to possessions. But I want so much more than that. I want it to drop down to my heart. I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. God, I want to know more than just what your word says. I want to have this attitude, this heart that craves the heart of Jesus. And I believe there's four different attitudes that we see from God in scripture that are very clear, very powerful, and that begin to change us. Number one, what is God's heart for us when it comes to an attitude? He wants us to become kingdom-minded. Become kingdom-minded. Which is why in verse 33 of chapter six, we, we just read it a few minutes ago. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is the kingdom of God? It's where God is the king. It's where we're a part of his kingdom, where he rules, he reigns, he calls the shots. It's about advancing the gospel. It's about being mission-minded. It's about wanting as many people to experience the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of Jesus as possible. What does that mean? That means that we're not building our kingdom, but we're seeking to build God's. And there's a shift that takes place in our hearts because we know what God's mindset is. It begins to change our hearts where it's, it's, it's not about us, it's about the kingdom. And so as we advance and wanna see the kingdom move forward, that's why we do growth track. Because we belong to God, we're like, okay, God, use me. And we go and we discover our spiritual gifts. Why? Because we wanna advance the kingdom and we wanna be a part of it. If we're kingdom-minded, we, we look at all the possessions and money that God's blessed us with that we're managing over, and we're saying, okay, God, how, how do I utilize what you've blessed me with to advance the kingdom? Because we're no longer thinking about our kingdom, we're thinking about God's kingdom. And I believe that's one of the greatest attitudes that begins to change when we surrender our hearts to Jesus in this area. We begin to become kingdom-minded. Second of all, we begin to experience the truth that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We begin to experience, because it's one thing to, to know that truth, it's a whole different thing to experience it. And there's so many people that don't really experience the reality that it is so much greater to give than to receive. Now, now why is this so true? Because for a couple points I wanna just encourage you with. When we give, we become more like Jesus. When we give, we become more like Jesus. There's, there's this, this change that begins to take place in our lives. There's this character that begins to take place in our lives. Paul put it this way in Acts chapter 20. He said, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So there's this, this character that begins to change. Why? Because that's the character of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There's also this increased intimacy in our walk with Christ. When we give, 
we're just a little bit more closer to Jesus. Why? Jesus said, where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to be more like Jesus, closer to Jesus, put your treasure there, why your heart will follow. I tell people all the time, like if you're struggling with your marriage, like do acts of service, even though you don't want to, why? Because your heart will follow. If I could illustrate it, I would do it this way. Here's my treasure underneath here. Got all my valuables in here, my bag. I'm not gonna show you what they are. I don't want anybody stealing them afterwards. Um, if this is my treasure, Wherever I put my treasure, what will follow? My heart. Simple principle of scripture, and here's the reality. If I put my treasure over there, what's gonna happen? My heart's naturally gonna follow. Whatever that is, wherever you put your treasure, you can move it all over the place, but eventually, wherever you put your treasure, your hearts will eventually follow. We have to understand that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe there's times where we're holding on to things. And God's like, hey, Jeremy, just let go of that. Jeremy, just give that over. Just give that to me. Why? Because God wants to bless us with something bigger and greater, and we can't receive it if we're holding on to something. I think about this little girl where Jesus is like, just trust me. She's holding on to her little teddy bear, and her response is, but I love it, God. And what does God have? He has a bigger teddy bear. He has a better teddy bear, and yet this little girl's just like, but, but I want it. See, so there's something more powerful, there's something better when we give instead of receive. Thirdly, in your notes, we need to believe that contentment changes everything. Believe that contentment changes everything. If we're gonna really have this, this heart change, this attitude change, we believe that contentment changes everything. And we see this all throughout the scripture. We see this Solomon, the, the, the richest guy during his time, he had it all. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter five. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Coming from somebody who had it all. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter four. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I love that, I've learned. It's not something that we're just gifted with. Contentment is something that's learned. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love that. Paul said, contentment is something that we learn. Well, well, how do we grow in our contentment? How do we learn contentment? Simple principle. Focus more on what you have instead of what you don't have. Focus more on what you have instead of what you don't have. When you pray, spend more time thanking God for what he's given you instead of asking God for other stuff. If you wanna grow in your contentment as a family, it takes 21 days to make a habit. Here's, here's just a challenge for you. Over the next 21 days, husband, wife, kids, maybe you're just by yourself, whatever it is, spend time going around the circle at dinner before bed and just thanking God for something that he's blessed you with and watch how God changes your family after 21 days. Why? Because contentment changes everything. It changes everything. Hebrews 13, five puts it this way. 
Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I wanna mention something just briefly that a lot of times we misunderstand. He says, keep your life free from money. No, he doesn't say that. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. A lot of Christians get this confused. Lots of times we criticize other Christians who have uh, lots of stuff, lots of money, lots of possessions and think, hey, there's something wrong with that. When in the Bible, we look at people like Job, super godly man who was probably the richest man of his time. We see people like Abraham in the scripture. We see lots of people in the scriptures that were blessed with a lot of money, but were also godly. There's nothing wrong with money as long as we don't love money. There's nothing wrong with being rich. The Bible says don't have the desire to be rich. You tracking? It's all about the heart. It's all about the attitude. We need to grow in our contentment, believing contentment changes everything. And then lastly, what do we do? We value people over possessions. We believe that people are more important than possessions. Changes the way we live, it changes the way we give. The two greatest commandments in scripture are love God and love people. Matthew chapter 22. You know, Mother Teresa, she had a radical impact and influence on so many different people. Super godly woman, she won the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, got, uh, was given $192,000 for for winning that. She kept none of it. She gave all the money away to feed hungry kids and people in India. When she died, what did she leave behind? Three head coverings, like the one she's wearing in this picture in a prayer journal. That was it. Why? Because she valued people over possessions. See, there's something powerful when we have a biblical mindset and we know what God's word says, that, that he's provided everything, he owns everything, we can't take anything with us. But we begin to change when we develop this biblical attitude with, with contentment. And we value people over possessions. But, but what really changes us, what transforms not just us, but the people around us, is when we take this next step, and this is the fearless step, it's point three in your notes. It's commit to biblical action. That's where a lot of people don't get. A lot of people know about the love of God, the grace of God. They haven't really experienced the power of God in their lives. Church, this is our opportunity to be fearless in this area. This is our opportunity to be, to be fearless in an area where so many people are fearful. Commit to biblical action. How do we do this? It's very simple, put God first with your money and possessions. God wants to be number one in every single area of our lives. And so we put God first in the area of our possessions. Why? Because your needs will be supplied, your faith will be enriched, and your life will be just really confirmed. Puts it this way in Proverbs three, verse nine. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits, what was that? That was the first and the best. My, my kids at times, they, they love to share. In fact, a couple nights ago, Drew was eating uh, some ice cream. He had a bowl of ice cream. And he was sitting at the kitchen counter. He was, he was eating it for about 20 minutes. It was melting. All the chocolate syrup had melted. And he's like, hey, Dad, you want the rest? 
no, buddy, I don't want the rest. Why not? Because there's probably saliva on there. It's melted. Like, I don't know. Like, you're, I don't want just your leftovers. Hallie, at times, she'll open a soda, and she'll be eating Cheez-Its, and she'll be drinking, and there'll be a big rim of, you know, Cheez-Its on the uh, soda cup, and she'll just have a little bit left, and she'll be like, Daddy, do, do you want the rest? It's like, no, I don't want the rest. It's probably all saliva in there, all the leftovers. That's nasty. And yet, I wonder if that's how God feels at times when we don't put him first, when we give him our leftovers. He feels like the way probably I feel like as a dad, he feels like an afterthought. But boy, there's other times where Drew, he'll get a big bowl of ice cream, put the whipped cream on top and the cherry, and before he even eats a bite, he'll say, Dad, you want the first bite? It's like, yeah, come on, buddy, right? Eat that cherry, some of the whipped cream, it's the first and the best. Why? Because he thought, Dad, before I even take a bite, I'm thinking about you. Hallie, sometimes before she even opens her can of soda, she'll be like, Dad, you want the first sip? It's like, yeah, but there's going to be none left for you, sweetheart. No, not really. <laughs> but there, it just does, it does something to me because it's like, man, they're, they're thinking of me. They're, they're valuing me. They're loving me. And that's how God feels when we put him first. And I believe one of the the most simple biblical ways to put God first with our finances is with a tithe. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus confirms the tithe in the New Testament. A lot of people say, what what does it mean? How do I put God first? Where, Where do I start? I believe that A tithe is a great starting place. I don't think it's a a ceiling, but I believe it's a floor for us to put God first in our lives. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. We commit to a tithe when we commit to putting God first. It helps us not have other gods before us. It's interesting on a $1 bill. If you look above the word one, there's a daily reminder that says this, in God we trust. And yet, I think for a lot of us, like if we're really honest, the struggle is that we trust our money more than we trust God. God, will you really provide for me? God, at the end of the month, will there really be enough? The reality is, is if you don't put God first in your finances, you don't worship a God you can trust. Simple reality. Well, how, how do we do that? How do we get to the point where, where it, we're able to put God first in our finances? I want to I just help you with three practical realities. First thing that we need to do is we need to have necessary conversations. Have necessary conversations. Who's the pers- first person with? It's with God. This is a hard thing to do because it will take humility. To sit down with God and say, God, is there any area of my life when it comes to my money possessions that, that's off? that's unbiblical. Why? Because if we give God open ears and open heart, there's probably gonna be some stuff that God's gonna tell every single one of us that we don't wanna hear. You know what? You spend more than you make. You've got a spending habit. You've got this addiction. Your securities and what you have, all you do is try to impress people. First person we need to talk to is God. The next person that we need to talk to is our spouse. One of the greatest issues in a marriage is money. Why? Because often one person is a spender and one person is a, sa- uh, a, a saver. 
And so, so how do we get to the point where we're humble and say, you know what, both of us, we, we wanna just do what's right in God's eyes, not our eyes, but God's eyes. And this is powerful because for us to have an honest conversation with our spouse, don't miss that. It will force us to be selfless and it will force us to be humble. And that's always a great place to be. Why? What's the opposite? To be selfish and to be prideful. And so I believe the starting point to put God first is to have necessary conversations. And maybe it's sitting down with your kids and saying, hey, we're going to make some changes. Because what you model for your kids about finances is what you teach your kids about finances. Second of all, after having necessary conversations, we develop and execute a budget. Very simple, very profound. Develop, but also execute. You can develop a budget, but if you don't execute it, if you don't, don't utilize it, work it, live it out, it's pointless. Three things with a budget. You put God first, you save, you live on the rest. Your expenses can't exceed your income. So you put, you put God first, and then you commit to saving. So you have some kind of an emergency fund. And then you put your house payment, your car payment, your food, your kids, all the other expenses on there. And it's amazing to see what God does when we develop and execute a budget. And we're asking ourselves questions as we go through this budget. Is my spending marked by Christian generosity? What, what, when we look at our budget, what does what our money say makes us the most happy? Is my spending clearly supporting the spread of the gospel? And there's something powerful about strategically writing down all of God's money that he's entrusting us with so that we can maximize kingdom building. And then lastly, what do we do? In your notes, identify what needs to be sacrificed. Identify what needs to be sacrificed. Don't miss the heart behind all this. The heart behind all this is providing tools so that you can make sure your greatest priority is God. And Kelly and I have done budgets. We, we do budgets regularly. Uh, why? Because there are times in our lives where, where we need to sacrifice. Lots of times when we go out to dinner, we don't, we don't drink soda. We don't get drinks just to save money. Sometimes we don't go on vacation. Sometimes we've, we've cut back on lots of stuff throughout the years. Why? Because to put God first, it's required us to sacrifice. So the question, you know, really is just, is God gonna be your greatest priority? Here's what uh, I wanna encourage you to, to do is, in the seat backs in front of you, there's this card that says FG3 Challenge. Would you get that out just for a moment? And this is where we, we really put it into action. It's a three-month giving challenge. I do this every year, and the, the simple reason why I do this is because I've had more people thank me for this than any other thing that we've done in the church. I believe there's a lot of people that struggle and are fearful to step out in faith and put God first in their lives, and that I've had so many people that, that do this, put God first with 10%, live off the 90, and they've said, you know what, it's changed my life. I just talked to, to somebody after the last service and said, you know what, I, I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. I, I tithe. Uh, I'm, I'm single. Been doing it for years. And yet God does something with the 90 because I put him first that I can't do myself with the 100. And you don't really ever know that unless you experience it. This is the one place in the Bible, a tithe, which literally means 10%, where God said, test me. Put me to the test. No other place in scripture does God say to test him. 
At the bottom of ways to give, there's a verse, Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 10, I want to read it. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so that's the one area I want to encourage you with today is to put God to the test. Now, now, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, you know, all the church wants is my money. I don't want your money. I, I believe God wants your heart. And that's why I want to challenge you with this. If you commit to 90 days, a tie at 10%. And after 90 days, God doesn't do what he said he would do. In other words, you're not more blessed, not just with finances, but God's favor, blessing in your life. Come see me, and I will make sure you get all your money back. Why? Because I believe this. I believe that as we put God first in our finances, he will bless us. Now, there's lots of different ways you can do that. That's all on this card. If you want somebody to call you and help you set up auto-tithe, you can do that. A lot of us have our cell phone taken out automatically, our, our payment. A lot of us have our cable taken out automatically. A lot of us have our car payments taken out automatically. Sometimes for some of us, it's not an issue of faithfulness, it's forgetfulness. And so if we can do that to help you, we'd love to do that. If you turn this over just briefly, here, here's the challenge. Four different, four different ways. Number one, 10% for, for 90 days, I'm choosing to be fearless. For some of you, we will increase our giving by this percent. For some of you, you're like, you know what? God's calling me to be generous. To put God first, it's so much more than 10%. God, God's blessed me with so much stuff I wanna give 20%, I wanna give 30%, or, or I've been giving 10, I wanna give 11, or I've been giving 11, I wanna give 11 and a half. I wanna just grow in this area of generosity. Thirdly, we will start giving this percent of our income for the first time. And then lastly, no thank you, I choose not to participate at this time. Some people will ask me, well, Pastor, um, what if I'm in debt? What, what, what do I do? Do I just wait till I get out of debt? My, my encouragement is always, you know what, the, probably the reason why you're in debt in the first place is God wasn't a part of your finances. And if you wait till you're out of debt, you may never get to a point where you put God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances, even if you're in debt, and watch what God does. He will be a part of your finances. He will bless you, and you will be amazed at what God does in this season. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you a couple minutes just to spend some time alone with the Lord, maybe your spouse. Fill out this card, respond. I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment and then you can give these to the ushers um, on the way out. Maybe you're here today and you're here for the first time and your just response is, no thank you, not at that this time. That's okay. Respect you, love you. Um, you're not gonna be looked down upon for this. Uh, this goes to our team and we're gonna, I'm gonna pray over all of these cards. Pray for your heart because really I believe that's what it's all about. But take a moment just right now between you and the Lord and just pray over God's desire for your response at this moment. Adrian Rogers said, God doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Tithing is God's way to grow Christians. It's all about our hearts. Let's bow, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, in this moment, say thank you for your truth, thank you for your word. God, for those that are here today and when it comes to money, um, 
Maybe we've bought into the lie that you're against us instead of really believing that you're for us. Would you prove that to us over the coming weeks, coming months? That you've got a plan, that you've got a purpose in our lives, which includes the reality that you are the ultimate provider for everything. And God, for those that are here today and they're just struggling financially, would you bless them? God, for those that have recently lost a job, for those that are in horrible debt, for those that have medical expenses that came out of nowhere, for those that are dealing with child support issues. God, I just pray for your grace. God, more than anything, we pray for our hearts that in every area of our lives we put you first. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.